the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything on your mind we can talk about? So don't be shy. Oh, where do we start today? Um, Warren Buffett, back in the Burger King deal, $3 billion. This just brings up a big conversation of tax inversions. Burger King buying Tim Hortons so that they can, not so that they can, but including that they can, get the added benefit of recorporating in Canada with a friendlier tax basis. Um, I've thought about in retirement moving to a foreign country or Florida, about the same thing, right? Where it has a friendlier tax basis. Um, so I don't see why corporations don't do the same thing. And the United States, I think it's up to our government to come up with a solution that makes us more friendly to have corporations do business here. Or they can keep the current policy and see companies continue to jump. Warren Buffett has been a vocal supporter of higher tax rates for the wealthy, but when push comes to shove, he's all about the bottom line, in my opinion. As you know, Burger King shares soared when word leaked of the potential tax inversion-inspired bid for Canadian donut shop Tim Hortons. Now it's being reported that the deal will be funded in part by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. So whether he wants to or not, and I think he might want to, He's now in the middle of this debate. Our Treasury Secretary, Jack Lou, Lou has said that he, you know the president's going to have to craft policy to like penalize this move or these types of moves. Um, Burger King's majority owner is 3G, a Brazilian private equity firm led by 74-year-old billionaire Jorge Paulo Lehman. Last year, 3G and Berkshire partnered to buy Heinz. Berkshire laid out $8 million for preferred shares that will pay back a billion dollars a year and another $4.25 billion for Heinz common stock. No major terms yet on this deal. Berkshire is sitting on a lot of cash. $55 billion. So the reason that Buffett has to be involved is to protect Berkshire's 9.1% ownership interest in Coke. Burger King is married to Heinz, but its drink business is up for grabs. So 3G has already pushed for a switch to Pepsi. 
in Latin American markets with earnings that fall flat since 2011. Coke can little afford to lose soda market share, let alone miss growth opportunities for Coke's non-carbonated products. Fascinating stuff, right? Who would have known that Buffett would throw down money so that he can keep Coca-Cola inside of Burger King and not Pepsi? Coke, no Pepsi. So right now, Burger King sells Nestle's bottled water. While a switch to Coke's designing probably won't be explicitly part of the financing package, let's just say Berkshire's Hathaway's uh, and Warren Buffett's involvement doesn't hurt. So Buffett now owns 9% of Coke, half of Heinz, and seemingly all of the U.S. financial system at times. He is the American dream. He is the modern Ben Franklin, and he's not going to give up billions just because the president calls him names. Of That's un-American to you know, switch corporations, tax bases into another country. Fascinating. It's, it's, I don't know. To me, that's intriguing. I like the intriguing stuff, right? Um, let me give you another intriguing. Self-driving cars, right? We know the concept's out there. We know that it's pushing faster and full, more forward. But what happens if you're driving a self-driving vehicle and you get into a car accident. One of the issues of self-driving vehicles is legal liability for death or injury in the event of an accident. If the car maker programs the car so the driver has no choice, it's pretty likely the company could be sued over the car's actions. Now, one way around that, of course, and corporations will try to find their way around it, is shift liability to the car owner by allowing them to determine a set of values or options in the event of an accident. So people are likely to want to have the option to choose how their vehicle behaves, both in an emergency and in general. So it seems the issue of adjustable ethics will become real as robotically controlled vehicles become more common. We have self-driving vehicles already legal to drive on public roads in a growing number of U.S. states. The trend is spreading around the world. The United Kingdom is allowing the vehicles uh, self-driving in 2015 of January. People need to be comfortable with the idea of a computer being in full control of their vehicle. Much progress towards this has been made already. There's some mid-price Fords have an impressive range of accidents, avoidance, and driver assistant technologies like adaptive cruise control, automatic braking, lane keeping, parking assist. So it's going to be an interesting legal issue. The car maker installs a do least harm instruction and the car kills someone, it creates a legal liability for themselves. Car's artificial intelligence has decided that a person shall be sacrificed for the greater good, for instance. So, we haven't figured that out yet, have we? I'm pretty comfortable with the idea of a car making decisions for me in case of an emergency. Because I've been in an accident before where I, in hindsight, I was like, I wish I would have braked harder. Like, I, I braked a little too gingerly thinking that it wasn't going to be that bad. And I wish I would have braked harder. So, ethical conduct for robots. How do you feel about that? That's a lot to think about. So, that's what we have right now. We have a world where we're thinking ethically about robots. Best Buy reported second quarter earning results that left plenty to be desired. Sales declined 4%. Comparable sales down about 2.7. Cost-cutting initiatives and a lower effective tax rate, though, helped the company increase earnings per share from $0.32 cents a share to 44 in brief, Best Buy is still a cost-cutting story. Stock indicated uh, not to like that, basically. Tim Hortons, um, 
I don't think there's anything else left to be said about Tim Hortons and Burger King. It is, to me, fascinating to watch from a distance. Um, other stories of note. Let's see if I have any other big ones. Okay, Schiller came out today. Widespread slowdown in home prices. Uh-oh, bad news. June prices fell two-tenths of a percent worse than expectations. Year-over-year prices climbed 8.1%. About in line with forecasts, but slower than a revised 9.4% gain from May and a 17-month low. Home price gains continue to ease as they uh, have since last fall. For the first time since February 2008, all cities showed lower annual rates than the previous month. Other housing indicators starts existing home sales and builder sentiment all positive, taken together. These point to a more normal housing market. Uh, not concerned in the short run, but expect things to get worse after autumn. The Case-Shiller measure is a three-month moving average, so it tends to lag shifts in the median price numbers published. Those numbers lag shifts in home sale volumes, so we should see a softening. The numbers can be expected to follow through and continue to fall later this year into October, November. Sales have recovered all uh, the drop and more. Medium reprices, prices have rebounded. So taking a look at some of the cities that you may care about, Los Angeles down one-tenth of a percent. San Francisco down four-tenths of a percent. San Diego down one-tenth of a percent. San Diego. Um, so there's a couple cities that bucked the trend a little bit, but not by much. And again, it's slowing. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. I'm Rob Black. We'll take a break here. Be right back. take too long for this link to happen. Man stricken with ALS suspected of killing two women, his wife and her sister. He was a deputy sheriff. Got ALS at a pretty young age. Um, it looks like he was probably late 30s. Killed his wife Ashley, 39, and her sister. She had raised, he had lost his job as a sheriff because of ALS. And her Facebook page was filled with people taking the ALS challenge, and she'd raised money to help, you know, with income uh, that had been lost. I hate that the news is putting a link to the ALS ice bucket challenge. I get it. 
but I hate that they're doing it. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Russia shuts down a fifth McDonald's restaurant. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They're not loving it. So that's how the Third World War is happening. You always wondered what it would look like when the United States goes to war with Russia again. Would it be nuclear strikes? Would it be diseases? It's Putin shutting down McDonald's. There you have it. That's what we've come to. Let's talk a little CFP action with Chad Burton. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. He's on the show on a regular basis. You can always find him at newfocusfinancial.com. A lot of people want to hire CFPs, and I know one of the questions that you ask is, how much money do you have in stocks, bonds? What's your house worth? How much income do you have? How much income will you need in retirement? But one of the lines in your forms is, how much do you have in stock options? In the Bay Area, a lot of people are wealthy on stock options. Let's talk a little bit about planning with stock options. Well, yeah, stock options are, you know, have been a, historically a pretty successful way to build wealth in the Bay Area, but they're one of the hardest things to plan for. And you have so many different there's, – there's restricted stock options or RSUs. They're just grants that vest over time. Um, there's incentive stock options and non-qualified stock options. And the first step when it comes to stock options is, is teaching a person to treat them as income because really all they are is the company can't afford to pay you what they think you're worth necessarily. They want you to work harder so that you have future benefit in the company's share appreciation. So you got to learn to treat your stock options as, as income. Don't treat it as a nest egg. Don't treat it as a home run. Don't treat it as anything but, like you said, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket in retirement. Therefore, you have to diversify out of your stock options because they are income. Yeah, and, and especially you know if you're younger and you, you get up to 10 to 15% of your net worth in these leveraged options and they don't expire for a long period of time and you think the company's doing extremely well, then fine. But even after that, there, there comes a point where you've got to make the decision that as the option ages, the leverage drops and the downside risk is higher than the upside risk. And so really what, what we do is keep a spreadsheet that shows, you know, here's the value of the stock, here's the strike price on the option, and any time that difference will still net you an 8 to 10% rate of return even after you pay Uncle Sam, that's when you know the trigger points are starting to hit and you should start diversifying. So if you're in your 50s, you need to, you know, start getting to the point where less than 5 to 10% of your portfolio is in your company options um, and that number is a little lower in your 30s. You could do 15% if you're really super aggressive because you've got time to, to deal with the fact of, you know, if the company goes upside down and your options are worthless, you've got time to make that up. And the way to look at it is your company, they already pay for your house, your car. They're already such a big portion of your, your income and your, your light daily costs that you can't have all your eggs in that one basket. Because sometimes companies do fail. Uh, WorldCom comes to mind, Enron comes to mind, so be careful on stock options. Well, yeah, and, and then also we're starting to see incentive stock options being granted again. Um, that's one of those, we saw a lot of those in 1998, 1999, where people exercise them, and the idea with incentive stock options, if you if they've longer than two years from grant or one year since you've exercised them, if you exercise and hold them, you can eventually get qualified for capital gains treatment, but they're subject to AMT. So what happens is people... If they exercise too late in the year and they try to hold them, they could exercise late in one year, owe a huge AMT tax, and the company fails the next year, and you can't go bankrupt with Uncle Sam. You just can't. Um, so if you're doing incentive stock options, you've really got to plan very carefully for those, run a lot of models, realize the AMT tax, and if you're going to exercise and hold them, you've got to do it real early in the year, like the first few weeks of January, so that you have a whole year to be able to avoid the AMT 
um, by selling them early. It helps having a financial planner run the scenario for you or your own accountant run some scenarios for you. you, you got to have both. Okay. I mean, because to run those different scenarios, you need the you know pretty extensive tax software. And so the financial planner can come up with the strategies and the what-if scenarios, and then you have the CPA or the enrolled agent run it through the models based on all the other issues, which is you know, how much property taxes you pay can also throw you into AMT, how many other deductions can throw you into AMT. There's, there's, there's a lot of issues. Managing your tax load is just as important as managing your insurance and your investments. Uh, anything else that we need to know about stock options? Well, then it kind of goes into ESPPs, which is the same deal. Um, the taxation is a little bit different, but what I tell people is if, again, they're, they're over 10% in their, their company stock and they're still buying the ESPPs for the discount, which makes sense financially in most, in most good companies, um, once those are two years old, make sure you have a plan once they reach that two-year period, which is the qualifying date for most plans, either 18 months to two years, start selling those systematically and reinvesting them into something else. And again, 2012, capital gains tax 15%. 2013, 20% or higher. Right. So the tax laws change on a regular basis. People need to be aware of that. Right. Especially uh, you know, when you're sitting on a large sum of money. It's funny. I used to think of stock options as that person's sexy because they got stock options. Mm-hmm. The early 2000s and 90s were very good to say that you had stock options. Lots of option grants and free BMWs back then. Absolutely. A lot of people would convert and go and splurge on a car, which is something you should avoid doing because cars are depreciating assets. Uh, any final thoughts? Um, no, just the idea of treating it as income and, and don't be afraid of taxes. Taxes are going to be there if it's a success, successful situation. So um, you pay taxes when you have success, and you just have to plan to pay the least amount of taxes but still keep the most amount of your net worth. I would argue that the estate tax is not success. <laughs> the estate? You die, you owe tax. But then again, you were successful in your life, so I see what you're saying. That's Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And again, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Uh, Manchester United just paid $99 million for a player. Um, Angel Di Maria, don't know the guy, not that big of a soccer fan, but this is pretty crazy. It's the largest fee ever paid by a British team for a player. Manchester United publicly traded. And... uh, they stumbled out of the gates. Lost Swansea in the opening week. Was followed up with a draw at Sunderland. Not good enough. So they go out and spend. What parallel can we make to corporate America? Apple's trying to come up with a watch. And they're bringing in big, big executives from companies like Burberry, Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy. They're spending for the talent. Good to do if you have the money. It's good to have that ability. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblack.com.
Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Good, good. Summertime almost over. You took a couple weeks off. Hopefully you're refreshed, but did you miss anything, or what was the big <laughs> news that crashed when you were gone? Yeah, well, I guess you could say you, you crashed upward as far as the stock market was concerned, but... Um, you know, I didn't feel like I missed anything when I got back. I heard that, uh, you know, uh, basically Eurozone GDP growth was about flat. Uh, Japan's GDP contracted considerably in the second quarter. That was not surprising after the big first quarter gain, but nonetheless, uh, averaging the two out, you don't have a lot there. Um, and the U.S. just keeps kind of plugging along here. Um, and then, of course, in the face of all that, you had this S&P 500 climbed a new record high. <laughs> So uh, it really was kind of more of the same, and you saw that same push-pull dynamic on the geopolitical front just before I left for vacation. The uh, you know there's a threat of a Russian invasion into Ukraine, and then lo and behold, um, just when I just before I, I checked out of the office, there was a headline indicating that you know Russia pulled back its troops from the borders, and then it was off to the races from from there. So and we've seen that really continue this that you know, on-again, off-again type of dynamic as it relates to the Russia-Ukraine situation for, for months now. And and uh, the market just ran with it, as it's been doing for a while, because uh, it reacts favorably when it sees that worst-case scenarios are not unfolding. With that said, while you were away, or since we last talked, the S&P 500 hit 2,000. It seems to be holding it okay. Um, the big number is something that my news director at in my channel at my television station, he's fascinated by. He's like, "Come talk about 2,000, or come talk about Dow 17,000." I'm like, "It's just a number, and I'm kind of jaded by it." But what's your opinion on the big round numbers? Um, you know, I think they they do uh, wonders for investor confidence. Um, you know, uh, it's nice to see a rising stock market, and you cross those thresholds, and it's noted as a you know crossing them on the way up anyway. <laughs> Yep. It's a real sign of progress and, and improvement, and uh, you know, and that's a that's a good thing. Um, you know, uh, technically, I mean, they they don't mean anything specifically. You just have to look at you know what the underlying earnings power is, and uh, in that respect, we've gotten some good fundamental news. Uh, the second quarter earnings reports were were better than expected, much better than expected. Looks like we're going to exit that quarter with ten uh, percent plus. EPS growth for the S&P 500, which is which is quite good, um, and uh, and then you, you pair that in again with the persistence of low interest rates and uh, and low inflation, and that's in large part uh, along with the Fed's zero interest rate policy, why the stock market continues to hold up very well in the face of some uh, headlines from time to time on the economic front that don't look great, and from headlines on the geopolitical front from time to time that don't sound all that great either. With that said, if you were to, there's a lot of media headlines out there saying, you know, uh, it's like the dot-com bubble, but with better valuations, everything seems to be melting up. Are you concerned or more on the apathetic side or somewhere in between? Well, you know, probably the hardest thing to do is, is really divorce oneself emotionally from the market. I mean, it's it's if you look at the fundamental forces I just laid out, uh, earnings growth 10% plus, uh, you have a 10-year note yield that's below 2.4%, and you have an 
inflation rate that's under 2%. And um, those are good things. Um, you have an economy and a labor market that does appear to be improving. Uh, and so, sure, you know, you've had a market that has run um, almost in a straight line higher for, for a long time now. And, you know, it's not a going out on any limb for any market analyst to say that we're due for a pullback, right? And everyone's waiting for this so-called 10% correction. Um, I don't know why everyone's fixed on the 10% number, but they're waiting for a big sell-off. And uh, and that's, I guess, understandable when things have been so good for so long. Uh, there's a, you know, a sense of angst that builds that something bad is about to happen or is bound to happen. And it could. Um but it will likely be driven by some type of exogenous force that's outside of the central bank's control, um, and it won't likely come to fruition if the U.S. economy is not entering a recession. So uh, you're probably going to have this market that moves in some fits and starts here as it adjusts to the reality that the Fed's uh, interest rate policy is, is on the verge or certainly entering a window where it's going to become less accommodative than it has been over the last five years or so. Um, but, you know, the way I look at it, I think the, the U.S. stock market seems to be in a happy medium right now, right? Uh, it, it continues to love the idea of interest rates at the zero bound. But it's also adjusting, it seems, to uh, the possibility that interest rates might go up at the hand of the Federal Reserve because the economy is improving. And if the economy is improving, earnings prospects should continue to improve. And so it's it's kind of just sort of going right up the middle of those two lines of thinking right now and, and sustaining itself at these higher highs. Uh, and it has enough fundamental justification for doing that right now, we think. Speaking with Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. I start my day reading his page one each and every day at Briefing.com. But there's so many services there, you could kind of get lost in it. Um, one of the big headlines today, Mr. O'Hare, is Warren Buffett entering into the tax-free debate, helping to back Burger King's acquisition of Tim Hortons. Burger King is basically, in theory, it looks like they're going to change their corporate headquarters to Tim Hortons Canada. And um, the Facebook page on Burger King is just getting shredded. Uh, Americans are like, I'll never eat at your restaurant again, and you're made great in America, and now you're selling out. And um, where the tax-free... You know, getting into this debate, it, it's complicated because I understand it. Like, when I retire, I'll probably move to a more tax-friendly state. I get it. And corporations are defined as people as well, so I get why they're moving. What's your thoughts on how this plays out? Yeah, well, uh, I didn't see the Facebook page, but what you're alluding to, I mean, it's, it's probably true to form that really you have a, uh, a loud vocal minority uh, probably making a real – fuss over the issue, and, and you and I have talked about this before, Rob, and, and my position on it was that while it, it doesn't sound great, there's nothing illegal about it, right? I think it's just a reflection of bad tax law uh, that needs to be reworked if, in fact, uh, you know, there is, uh, you know, if Congress is uh, as up in arms about it as everyone's led to believe, then they should rewrite the tax policy, and then, co- you know, companies are going to have to, you know, readjust to that, but as things stand right now, um, you know, they're acting in the best interest of their shareholders, frankly, uh, and they're aiming to boost profitability by lowering their tax burden, and they have a loophole for doing that through these tax inversions. Uh, and and until that is closed, um, you're likely to continue to hear about it. Uh, but I guess, you know, when you, when you move to change something, um, there's got to be, you know, an initial uproar to get it on everyone's 
you know, radar, so to speak. And uh, it seems with, um, you know, U.S. corporate profitability being so great right now and so much cash on the balance sheets and uh, workers not exactly seeing a lot of benefit from that in terms of real income growth, um, you're going to continue to hear this kind of loud outcry against companies that uh, are, are aiming to um, – uh, to do these tax inversions um, to boost profitability, particularly if they're not returning that increased profit back to employees. But, um, uh, you know, again, though, I just the, my perspective is that it, it's, there's nothing illegal about it, uh, and corporate managers have a you know, primary uh, job to boost shareholder value, and that's what they will continue to do if the opportunity presents itself. As I like to do in the last couple of minutes of the segment, kind of give you the form, anything that you're working on that you want to tell us about, get some insights, maybe I skipped a topic that you find crushingly important. Yeah, well, you know, I found it uh, looking from afar on vacation, just seeing this continued drop in the sovereign bond yields in the euro area. Um, you know, you have them at record lows. I mean, multi-century lows, which is just incredible. And, of course, you have Mario Draghi out there now alluding to the possibility that there be some type of, of quantitative easing program implemented in the in the Eurozone. Uh, and one of the things I might be exploring in, in the big-picture column that I write uh, will be the idea of, you know, what you know, what would a quantitative easing program really do for the Euro area? Um, I, frankly, am of the mindset that it's not likely to do much um, other than drive up asset values to um, – higher levels than they probably should otherwise be, uh, and that could have those so-called unintended consequences down the road. But uh, we're seeing in the response in European bourses that they clearly like the idea that uh, the ECB is entertaining the possibility of going down the same road the Fed has gone down, which in turn has certainly helped drive the U.S. stock market considerably higher off of its 2009 lows. Which has made me happy, but are you implying that this quantitative easing that Europe might undergo would be not effective? Was it effective in the United States? Right. Well, it's probably going to be a case of where you're going to need to do that type of judgment retroactively. Uh, so okay. anecdotally, um, I think that you know we can say that you know if you have a Fed balance sheet that's over four trillion dollars and we're still looking at you know two percent GDP growth and we've had you know one quarter recently of negative GDP growth, um, it's it's not all that um, uplifting, okay. if you will. Thanks very much. Welcome back. It's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com, independent live market analysis of the United States International Equity Markets, and so much more. Briefing.com is an investor's friend of data. Lots of, lots of news and data. Take a break. We'll be right back.
The labor market in the United States has me a little concerned. Give me a second on this one to figure out you know, the best way to go with it. Fewer Americans are going to Best Buy. We're going online. We still want our goods, though. So we order them, and they're brought to us by someone in a car or truck, typically. There was a story this week talking about keep on trucking. We got a great big convoy trucking down the drive line. Whoops. Just we'll edit that out and fix that later. We got a great big convoy trucking down the line. Convoy. But um, keep on trucking, right? I remember the phrase in the 70s or 80s? I don't even know. Um, deliveries of online shopping orders. Massive pieces of equipment. Everything you see right now on the road probably came in a truck. There's a problem right now. Autonomous cars, new self-driving trucks, new drones, new. There's more trucking jobs available than commercial drivers. As older drivers retire in greater numbers, the industry faces a driver shortage. Years-long labor shortfall was massive during the recession as trucking volume plummeted. Consumers bought less. Builders hauled fewer materials. The, the industry has 30 to 35,000 unfilled truck driver jobs. So there you go. I've got uh, people that I know that are underemployed become a trucker. Probably pays pretty good. It's probably not very sexy going to a truck stop. And I'm not even going to think about what goes on at truck stops because everything I see in movies at truck stops is bad. So the truck driving industry, believe it or not, there is a truck driving association. And again, don't we have a couple too many associations? But here's one, the American Trucking Association, ATA, says that it's really acute this time. As the economy recovers, we're clearly short drivers, truckers. The turnover rate of drivers at large truckload carriers, leaving the industry, averaged 130% in 2005. Wow. It's turning to recruiters, the trucking industry, working with driving schools to court the next generation. Some student drivers are securing jobs even before graduating with commercial driving licenses. It's just our changing population, right? Um, it's going to be interesting to watch. How good do you feel about a truck driving itself on the road? See, I'm okay with a car driving me, but thinking that a truck has got no one in it kind of scares me. Unless, of course, it does it from like 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. when I'm not on the road. Modern trucks features technology to help drivers you know, communicate in real time. A lot of diagnostics. Advances are appealing as repairing and maintaining a truck over its lifetime isn't cheap. So sometimes you have to own your own truck, right? Average annual pay for drivers, under $50,000 last year. But it's up roughly 28% since 2000. Drivers specialize in hauling dangerous materials. They make 70000 and up. Um, but yeah, this kind of, I'm a little weirded out by the idea of a shortage of truckers because that ties into the whole millennial things where the millennials have this bad reputation for being whiners and like expecting certain things. I know a millennial who could use a job and if I were to tell him, go make $50,000 trucking, I guarantee you he would say no. Um, I don't know. President of Russia and the Ukraine are meeting in Minsk, Belarus today. Biotech companies 
outperforming for a second consecutive session. Burger King. I would like a burger. They've confirmed that merger with Tim Hortons. Uh, strength day in energy and financials. Weakness in tech, healthcare, consumer staples, consumer discretionary. It's a lot of weakness, but the sectors that are driving the market are pushing the market higher. The S&P 500 set a record high, 2003, up six buckaroos. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 68, sitting at 17,145. The Nasdaq up nine, sitting at 4566. My producer fell asleep because I just gave the market numbers. No ding, 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 ding. It's amazing that he even listens to the show. You know, once I had a, a, a board op because he was not a producer. Uh, fall asleep during the show. <laughs> it's fantastic. So I took a picture, and then they were like, we need to get you a new board op. Someone who actually listens to the show, because I can say a dirty word. Watch. I'll, I'll slip one in this segment and see if we can do the seven-second delay, because uh, that's their job. Ultimately, if I say a bad word, uh, I'll get fired with the board op will, too. So, like I could say the word. It's a blue chip company, which sounds a little bit like a word that I'm not allowed to say, but... Radio is funny. You know, I've been um, written up for saying the word, or for saying something. I said gosh darn, but I used a different word other than gosh. And it's funny because the industry works in an odd way where, well, I'm not going to tell you how the industry works. You don't care. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Walt Disney seeking some drone-related air show patents. This is interesting because... We haven't really begun to see the power of drones. And like Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Oh, look, it's Snoopy. He's a big, big aerial balloon that doesn't do anything. But if you can get a robotic Snoopy flying through the air, woohoo! Death defying leaps. I'd like it. I'd like it a lot if you're following me. Um. So we're going to see some pretty cool advances soon. Got a kid in school this year? Cost for sports going up big time for school sports. Over 8%. 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black. We do have a great big convoy, and it is trucking down the line. Join the show. Give me a call, 
on the Wall Street Business Network. Good day. Good day. It's Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Um, I got to talk. I'm so glad I have this microphone because I'm either going to waste the next 12 minutes of your life or you're going to go, that's really fascinating. I wouldn't have thought that. Let's talk about the idea of the whole cord cutters for a little bit. You've heard all about it, right? And this this is going to have a payoff. You're going to like this payoff, I think. You're going to see where we're going as a society. Cable seems to punish loyalty, in my opinion. Every cable bill, it seems to go, the longer I'm a customer, the more expensive it gets. I don't like it. I don't get, you know, book 10 hotel rooms, get the next one free. There seems to be nothing like that. Number of pay TV defectors is steadily rising. About 6.5% of households nationwide have cut the cord, up slightly from 4.5% in 2010, but it's rising. Um, I know people who live without it. I know people who live just on Netflix, Hulu. I know people who pirate uh, television shows. Things have changed. You don't, you're not locked in anymore. There's ways of getting media. Things have changed. And people under the age of 35 are kind of shaping some of this. Um, number of U.S. broadband subscribers poised to exceed the number of pay TV subscribers by mid-2015. So people are using their broadband to get online and do stuff. There's a big acquisition announced today. And before I get to that, Chromecast by Google, Roku, Apple TV, there's all sorts of like little things that you can do. Um, and the content's okay. Uh, you could probably switch with an over-the-air antenna. That'll help you get NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox, and it'll be a better signal because it's not compressed like it is on cable. Um, Simple TV or Tableau, local channels, you're able to get and shoot them to your devices, your smartphone, tablet. It's uh, for a small subscription fee. They allow you to digitally record those channels as well. Uh, There's also a TiVo Romeo. Slingbox is out there. Aereo, uh, the United States Supreme Court ruled against the company. Aereo captured all of the free over-the-air signals and let people record them and watch them on a virtual DVR. Um, but they're coming back somehow, some way, some shape, some form. Sports are the big obstacle. So in theory, you could pay for Major League Baseball, and you can't watch your home team broadcast, but you could watch every other one. So if the Giants are playing, uh, who did the Giants play yesterday? Some team, the Colorado Rockies. So you could watch the Colorado Rockies broadcast and then turn on the radio and try to sync it up so that you get the, the radio voices matching with the TV, so you get the hometown flavor. Um, so we're going to see some legal you know, ways around that. But this is where the story gets, to me, fascinating. And you're going to say, we'll see about that. Um, there's a concept of... Who just bought who? Let me figure this one out. Make sure I get this right. Amazon.com just bought Twitch for $970 million, a live video game streaming site. You know, Amazon's got the whole TV thing that they're doing, Amazon Prime Television, where you can get some movies and TV shows, the house card shutout at the Emmys. So they paid $970 million for a website called Twitch. Now, I've got a family member, not my family, but son of a sister who is addicted to watching YouTube all day on his phone. 
it's kind of sad. It's you're like if that was my kid, I'd take that away. But then for some reason, it never gets taken away, right? But Amazon just bought Twitch for nine hundred and seventy million dollars. It's a live video game streaming site. So kids love video playing video games, right? No, no, no. This is a, a video site that you get to watch other people play video games. It's kind of the YouTube for video games. As of July, Twitch had over 15 billion minutes of content, and users were spending more than 100 minutes a day on the site. Twitch users can host live streams of their gaming sessions and broadcast them to the world. So the new Call of Duty game, when it comes out, I like seeing the technology. I don't necessarily have to pay for it now. I could just see someone else do it. I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. I can subscribe, and I could watch him play the whole game. How lazy are we as a nation? Now we're too lazy to even play the video games. Not just sit on the couch and play the video games. Junior, go out and play baseball. Twitch has over 15 billion minutes of content. It's kind of a resource for gamers who want to show off their unique skills. But here's where the story gets a little bit more interesting to me. And again, you kind of have to work with us. Google and Yahoo both tried to offer to, offer to buy Twitch. Amazon made winning all-cash offer. The Google deal sounded like a sure thing, but the Google deal probably didn't happen because of antitrust issues. You know, Google's been able to acquire and gobble up many, 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 many companies, but YouTube is used right now so that people can upload videos of them playing video games. And Twitch would, like, eat, eat that away. When you look at the amount of volume of live streaming on Twitch... It, it's it's stunning how big of a company this is as far as um, people you know playing games or watching people play games on, online. Uh, it's dominating market. It's dominating um, the pie chart, so to speak, of competition. The share of live video streaming traffic by volume in the United States. NBC News had. Six tenths of one percent. CNN had eight tenths of one percent. Um, ESPN six point three percent. So a lot of street live streaming goes through ESPN. MajorLeagueBaseball.com seven point two percent. A lot of it goes right there. The WWE seventeen point seven percent. But Twitch comes in at forty three point six percent. It's the biggest slice of the pie. Twitch is the fourth in peak internet traffic in the United States after Netflix, Google, and Apple. So you get Netflix. People stream in movies and TV shows. There's a website called Quilt who kind of figures out everything on the Internet. It says Twitch ranks in the top five video entertainment sites across the globe. Twitch is now so big that Justin TV shut it down August 5th, saying that Twitch was now the focus of its resources. Why is Twitch so big? 58% of Twitch users spend more than 20 hours a week watching videos. So if you're ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, this, this causes you to like pee your pants a little bit. This is not good. Because people under 35 aren't watching your shows. They're watching people play video games. Is that, does that sound a little bit like Rome? You know, in Rome, as the society got 200 years old, they had to have gladiators. Gladiators. Have you ever seen a... Do you like gladiators? Do you like gladiator movies? Oh, I'm not going to go there. Um, so even Amazon's Fire TV has a Twitch app. Twitch has its own iOS and Android apps, and it's been integrated with Xbox and PlayStation consoles. 
So 58% of Twitch users spend more than 20 hours a week. In February, Twitch crowdsourced more than 150,000 people to play an online game of Pokemon. Twitch users went from playing Pokemon themselves to watching a fish play Pokemon. A fish. People are watching a fish play a video game. This changes how you invest. ABC, NBC, CBS. Will the kids eventually grow out of it and want more adult content? I don't know. I could watch kids play Minecraft all day. Minecraft, Warcraft, Counter-Strike. I get it. Media's changing. I'm Rob Black. Netflix completely shut out last night at the Emmys. The one thing I forgot to mention about Amazon buying Twitch for $970 million in cash, the advertising, it's, it's just a no-brainer. In history, Google buying YouTube, they got it cheap. They saw it coming. Most people didn't. ABC, NBC, Fox, they just, they're not, their heads are in the sand. I don't get it. So I own shares of Disney because I still think they're incredibly powerful, but how long will they, you know, keep their heads in the sand is a big question. Big loser today, and not stock-wise, but story-wise, Apple. They're going to replace some iPhone 5 batteries. Um, you have to go online to see if the phones are eligible. If you purchase an iPhone 5 between September 2012 and January 2013, then you may be eligible for a free battery replacement for your device, which is always awesome. Apple launched the battery replacement program after learning that some of its iPhone 5 devices may suddenly lose kind of like juice, uh, which is not good, not good. Costs for youth sports are set to spiral again. Uh, things have changed since I was a kid, clearly, because this is a store. Back-to-school spending is on track to rise 3% overall in 2014. But families with kids in elementary, middle, and high school are likely to spend about 5% more than the year before. And, uh, you know, that's that's nothing compared to the 8.4% rise we're seeing in cost for uh, gear, baseball gloves, lacrosse sticks, things like that. So just throwing it out there, paying to play on sports teams is now the norm. Almost two-thirds of students participate in middle and high school sports paid to do so. Um, I didn't. Uh, Self-driving cars creating a fascinating legal issue. Just throwing that out there. Um, I remember in the 1970s when we did seatbelts, people freaked out that, you know, there was national law about wearing seatbelts. People freaked out. Self-driving cars, I think there's going to be some freak-out issues. Bring in CFP Chad Burton. Do a little chit-chat with Chad, the CFP. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. Regular guest on the show. 
Today we're talking a little life insurance investment tip and estate planning tip. I like the tips. People like the tips. People like the easy, digestible content that Chad Burton throws out. So, well, my first tip when it comes to life insurance is uh, it doesn't work well as an investment. Okay. Now, that's one of the things insurance salespeople will do. They'll say, look, you get the insurance, but there's also an investment and a savings component, and you can borrow from it in the future. So there's a lot of bells and whistles in insurance. Well, yeah, right. But if somebody sells you life insurance as an investment before maxing out your 401k, contributing to a Roth, or doing a non-deductible contribution and converting it to a Roth if you're not eligible for a Roth, and they do a financial plan, and the first thing they do is sell you life insurance, they are awful planners. They are not fiduciaries. They should be upfront saying, I'm not a fiduciary. Don't use my services. This is essentially what they should do. Between you and me, though, Chad, I don't think the public knows that, and I don't think insurance people know that. I think insurance people are typically high school educated. I don't think they've got any sort of degree in economics. I don't think they have any sort of degree in, in investing, which is looking into the future, whereas insurance is worst-case scenarios. Yeah. So it is it's just a mixing of, of theories. You know, some of the favorite people I like to hire are certified financial planners that are recovering insurance people. Like they spent a good five, ten years selling insurance. Twelve-step programs. Realize that they don't like selling and they like financial planning, but they want to do it on a fee basis. They know a lot about that industry, which you have to know to be a good planner. You have to know how insurance works. When is it right? 90% of the population needs to buy term life insurance and invest the difference. But there are specific t- reasons when you buy permanent life insurance. Like if you're doing pension planning, if you have a pension that's going to go away when you die or be cut in half for your spouse, you need you, term insurance isn't going to work. You need permanent. If you have an estate issue where, let's say you're a small business owner or own a lot of property, and you die, there's a huge estate tax bill sold or due when you die, and the only way to do it is to do a fire sale on the property or the business to pay the estate taxes – that's a problem, and that's when you need life insurance held in a trust or an irrevocable life insurance trust using permanent insurance. And in fact, right now, there's such gifting opportunities for wealthy people out there that they can gift a lot of money into a trust which buys the insurance, and they can cover their entire state tax bill because for 2012 and 2012 only, it looks like uh, you can gift up to $5 bucks out of your state while you're alive without paying any gift tax. So... Um, the issue is, is, you know, using life insurance as an investment, so many things can go wrong. They sell you this policy as an investment, right. you, showing you a ledger with great rates of return. They don't show you the other side of the ledger, which says, here's what happens if mortality expenses go up, overall expenses of the policy go up, the performance isn't good. Um, the fees can change after you buy the policy. And I've seen... And very early on, they don't, but midterm, long-term, they do. Oh, yeah. Right now, the stuff that was sold in, you know... The 90s is blowing up. Right. You know, they were sold showing 8 to 12% returns inside the investment side of the insurance policy, and that didn't happen, obviously, over the last decade. So these things are blowing up. People have put thousands and thousands of dollars into them, and they're becoming worthless. I'm with you, and, uh, you know, raise your right hand. I, 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 am, I, I have term life insurance. Do you? I do. So we're financial professionals, and we've got term, and we invest the rest. So a lot of things can go wrong with the insurance product, and... Um, a lot of times with insurance products, Chad, the, the commission's up front, whether it's an annuity product or a life insurance product, a lot of time it's take the money and run. It, it's a bad product initially, but once you have it, is it necessarily a bad product? Because the, the commission's already out of it for the salesperson and the company. Yeah, I mean, if you've got some of the older whole life policies from you know, Northwestern, New York Life, and they're the whole life good dividend paying ones, and you bought them you know, prior to you know, the 2000s, then... 
you've probably paid all the loads and you can look at the cash value as kind of your emergency reserves. Right. Um, you've really got to look at it. If, if you're spending too much and you're not able to max out your 401k or save for your kids' college or other things and you've got these policies, you've got to get a, what's called an in-force illustration. Look at it and see when does the cash value equal the surrender value Yep. Um, to see when you're able to get out of it. And uh, you also have to look at the tax consequence because if you pull, if you surrender it, you're over age, under age 59 and a half and there's more money in it than what you put into it. Yep. It's a tax consequence with a 10% penalty like an IRA, so you might have to roll it over. So quick question for you, because we're starting to wrap up here. Um, when I was 17, I dated a girl who worked for a state farm insurance guy. Mm-hmm. She was like a secretary. She was pretty hot. Um, and my adult life, I've always used Geico and USAA, and they don't have insurance agents. They kind of have like an 800 number, call center number. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong for thinking I don't really want an agent? I kind of would rather have a big company that gets me you know, volume, volume, volume discounts versus an independent agent who comes to my house and gets to know me. Yeah, I would say that's, that's again, true for about 90% of the population. Um, but I like it when people get all their stuff in one spot because it, it if you're going to get something from Geico, also get your umbrella insurance there. Don't try to piecemeal your stuff together with different you know discount places because you can end up making mistakes in, in values. And a lot of times to get umbrella, you have to have certain coverage on your auto and home um, where it gets into play where you need a real good agent is if you're wealthy, you've got branches, you've got various homes and you need to make branches. sure there's seriously where you and need horses there and certain types of coverage for yeah. like fire, like people in Morgan Hill, that kind of thing. You, you need different types of coverage. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black. You can find me at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Just talking with my El Producer, which is vacation speak for producer. Um, we are talking about watching TV shows. Uh, he said, you know, hey, did you see this? Did you see that? I'm like, Ugh. I'm very choosy about what I throw time into because I think we have very little of it. Um, and I just throw that out there because it's fantasy football and fantasy uh, hockey time. Yeah, and I got to the point where I'm just like, I can't do it. I just, I, I can't do it. Maybe I'll, I'll cave at the last second to do fantasy hockey. It makes watching the games more enjoyable for sure. But I don't see how people have time for that. Tim Lincecum has been moved to San Francisco Giants bullpen as he tries to work through his latest struggles. Not a good sign. Not a good sign because he needs some starting pitching to do well in baseball. But he's been just inconsistent. Widespread slowdown in U.S. home prices. S&P's Case-Shiller Home Price Index has declined for the second straight month. Um, it's going to get healthier. Right now, I don't think we're in a healthy real estate market. Warren Buffett enters tax ray. He's backing the Burger King deal with uh, $3 billion. President Barack Obama called it un-American 
to repatriate your company in a different country? How about you be American and show capitalism? Show us some reasons to stay. I get it. When I retire, there's a chance I leave the United States. Am I un-American? No. I'm trying to do the, you know, the best for myself. Corporations are as well. Burger King, for the record, is moving to Canada, uh, their corporate headquarters. And I, I'd consider it. If the tax laws are there, do it. I think U.S. corporations, uh, we have the second highest rate in the world. It's ridiculous. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to get into a big battle on this, but um, Warren Buffett's in it, in, the, in it, and he's not going to let you know. He's not. He's going to say Americans should pay higher taxes, but he's not going to say anything along the lines of uh, his corporation. He's, you know, he's back in Burger King. So Best Buy revenue missed expectations. Or customers are shifting online. I go into a Best Buy, and the first thing I want to do is yell out like. Hello, 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 hello. Like, it's too cavernous. It's too big. I know. Size matters, right? But in retail, it's like, it's too big. I don't need the 82-ounce steak of retail. If you could eat the whole thing, it's free. Uh, And it's not personal. Like, I feel like I'm going to go walk around five aisles and see if I can't find someone to help me. Right? It's too big. It's too big. It's too big. No good. Uh, restaurants are shrinking their menus. The next big thing is shrinking the menus. For years, most restaurant chains have been expanding their menus. But there's intense competition. So some chains are doing the unthinkable. They're less is more. More quality. Faster service. Hotter food. Um, there is a dynamic that sometimes we don't think about. Fewer menu options not only cut costs. They make customers happier because chains can do a better job with their most popular items. IHOP has whittled down its menu from 200 items to about 170. Da, BJ's Restaurant has cut entrees from about 181 to 150. They want to get closer to 100. If you ever go into a cheesecake factory, you're like, how do they have all these choices? They must absolutely have to throw things away. Waste. So millennials care about food quality, flavor, local sourcing, and the ability to customize their meals over massive menus. The less is more has kind of spread industry-wide. Total number of menu items at the nation's top 500 restaurant chains are down 7.1%. So it's a trend. And it may seem contradictory, but it's quite the opposite because it's more customizable. Uh, Chipotle has just four main items on its menu. Burritos, tacos, burrito bowls, and salads. Made with 18 original ingredients, or 18 optional ingredients, right? Now, those four things can be put together 60,000 different ways. So you get the idea. Amazon buying Twitch for $970 million. I dedicated the whole first segment of the show to that and how it's crazy that this company has 55 million users who are spending over 100 minutes a day on the site on average. Amazon's getting in advertising and eyeballs. Amazon wants to compete with Google and YouTube. Although, Netflix completely shut out at the Emmys last night. 31 Emmy nominations. Uh, Kevin Spacey, obviously. Julia Louise-Dreyfus. Taylor. No. Oh, Taylor Schilling was uh, up against Julia Louise-Dreyfus for Veep for Orange City Black. So, they did a good, okay? 
they, got, they represent it, but they didn't win, but they represent it, showing you how far TV has come. That's quality TV in theory. Apple's replacing smartphone batteries. If you bought your iPhone 5 between September 2012 and January 2013, you may be getting a new battery. Um, Amazon Fire is a major flop. Major flop. Just throwing it out there for you. For those who are playing at home and want to keep track of major flops or not major flops, major flop. Oh, Burger King's getting a lot of hate on their Facebook page because people are upset with uh, them jumping over to you know Canadian territory. And some of it's just fantastic. Like, if the Tim Hortons deal happens, I'll never buy Burger King again. If you move your office out of states, you'll suffer from boycott. Boycott! Leave the U.S., you tax cheat. Leave your customers behind. <laughs> People get really angry on the Internet, right? I've had my last Whopper. Well, that'll teach them. Evade taxes. I will evade you. See how that works. <laughs> I love how nasty people get. So at one point in time, uh, 13, 14 years ago, I reading Yahoo, I had a girlfriend back then, and the nasty, horrible things on the message boards people would post about me. Like, I'm going to take your eyeballs out and pour gasoline in your skull. The Internet's really, really good at hiding, right? Meet them in person. They're like, oh, I love you. Um, I love you. You can find me online at robblack.com. You want to sign up for the seminar, you can text ROB, R-O-B, at 33733. We'll take a break here. We'll talk soon. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.